Well, hey, all brothers, this is Didact with part two, uh, Smart Question Day part two, and this is in response to a very interesting set of questions that uh, my old friend John C911 asked me. And uh, actually, I had this recorded originally uh, at a half hour podcast recorded, and uh, I didn't save it. So I lost a full half hour of me ranting, which is, uh, you know, there are times a lot of people ask, um, a lot of people say that I say a lot of smart things, but there are times like this when you realize actually Didact's kind of a giant dumbass. So, um, this is one of those times where because I didn't hit the save button, I lost, you know, an entire half hour of podcast. Well, that's my dumbass for you. Anyway, um, so, uh, John C911 asked, um, in relation to my last long podcast, which was, uh, episode 100, the Eurasian Century, he asked, uh, Didact, I do have a question. It relates to the immigration to the West from countries like India and the Middle East. When major problems of the West start to happen and living in the West becomes unbearable for many of the non-Europeans, how will the countries that receive them be affected? I am thinking, for example, such as Arabs that were brought up in the West returning to countries such as Saudi Arabia and Indians returning to India from the West. Would the Western liberal influence infect those countries or the opposite, meaning would the, they return to kind of their traditional values? Would there be religious and ideological problems caused? Okay, so I want to tackle this in by breaking it up into two different pieces. Because there are two different types of immigrant in very broad categories. You can certainly take exception with this, and I would not argue with you. There are the immigrants who move to the West from the dirt world, from shithole countries, who were smart, educated, capable, wealthy, you know, sort of middle class or upper middle class backgrounds. And who went to the West and established um, separate lives for themselves there and became successful, you know, set up uh, businesses and, and became uh, permanent residents and citizens, um, made proper lives for their themselves and their children, and have generally made good, as it were. You know, they've 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 um, they've generated uh, they've generated quite a lot of wealth in the process. If I sound like an old man, it's because um, I was at Krav Maga yesterday, and I am bloody sore. Anyway, um, so that's one class, and that is actually the the overclass of um, what what Steve Saylor and a few others have referred to as like high IQ blacks, basically. Um, as they are, that's not how they think of them. I want to be clear. That's how liberal elites in the West think of them. Um, that's one group. And they will be typically the high-income Pakistani or Indian doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, uh, very well-to-do, living in well-to-do areas um, with the... You know, the, the median income of Asian, Asian Americans in the United States is like 100 grand plus. Uh, they do very, very well for themselves. But that's the median income. There is a substantial portion of the Indian diaspora, um, diaspora, the South Asian diaspora into the United States, into the West, 
that is nowhere near that level of, of income uh, and are actually not doing well. Uh, they, they, I don't know, either they're living on welfare or in the case of many of the South Asians, they're just kind of getting by. They're struggling, they're getting by. They're doing okay. They work really, really hard, but they're just getting by because they don't have the skills and the abilities to make it beyond sort of into like the professional um, high tier jobs. That's not a slam on them. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying they're not able to crack through. It's just it's a normal. It's a it's a uh, a statement of fact. It's not a, a value judgment. But they're just not able to to get through to that level. So those people will have sort of a uh, a lower class or lower middle class type of income, and they won't have the ability to move back when things go south. So you have these two very broad classes of people. Um, and obviously, within the second class of people, you have all of the refugees, the economic migrants from the Arab countries, from North Africa, um, the Syrians, the Afghanis, uh, who have come over and just, they want to mooch off the system. And they're quite happy not to work. They're, they're quite happy just to get free shit. That's all they want is free shit. And they don't have the means to go back. They don't have the desire to go back. They Life is better in the West for them. Um, and they won't go back. It's just, you know, why would they? Things are much better for them in the West than they would be in a shithole country in Africa. So they're going to stay. What happens to um, the people who uh, decide to go, the, the elites who decide to go back to their home countries? What's going to happen to them? So in my view, the elites who decide to go back will bring with them uh, much of the expectations and lifestyles that they had before, and they want to set them up again in their home countries. Now, I don't know how easy it is for them to emigrate back. I, if you look at the Arab countries, for instance, I don't know what their immigration laws are like. I don't know if they can come back if they have citizenship of another country. I don't know if Arab countries permit dual citizenship. I think Saudi does, I think. Um, I don't know about UAE or um, some of the other richer Arab Gulf states. I, I, I don't know. So I have no idea whether they would be allowed back in. I presume so. I mean, it's probably just a matter of giving the right guy the right amount of bakshish and saying, hey, let me in. Um, Arab states are not exactly known for being transparent or, uh, or honest. You know, whatever. That's that's up to them. With India, I know that the Indians do not permit dual citizenship. That is a matter of fact. It is in their constitution. You cannot have dual passports. End of. Now, when I say end of with respect to the Indian case, technically you can get what is called an overseas citizen of India card, which is not technically a passport. It is a booklet, I think, that you get, I think it's a booklet, which allows you to have free entry into India anytime. You can stay for, I think, as long as you like. You are able to get a private sector job. You are able to own property. You are able to set up a business. You pay taxes. You can send your kids to school. You can do everything that an ordinary Indian can't, uh, can, except vote and work a government job. You can't do both of those things. 
Everything else that an ordinary Indian can do, you can do. You can sign up for an Indian ID card, whichever one there is, because there's like four of them and all of them re require each other in order to be acquired. The Indians, I mean, their, their ID systems are idiotic. It's just trying to get an Indian ID card is, from what I've heard and what I've seen, is it, it's an exercise in stupidity and frustration that would make the toys of Sisyphus look trivial by comparison. I'm serious about that. Um, they, so the, the people who go back to those countries, like let's say, let's say a, an Indian elite would want to go back because he sees the West is degenerating to the point where it's like cost of living is going to go through the roof, currency is going to collapse, indoor plumbing is going to become a problem, garbage collection is going to become a problem, basic standards of living are going to collapse in this country, I want out. So he says, well, where do I have a support system? Oh, I have one in the old country. Okay, go back to the old country. But you know what? I like having my coffee in the morning because Indians don't actually drink very much coffee, by the way. Uh, they're a continent of tea drinkers or a nation of tea drinkers. Um, what coffee you do get in India is awful. It's it, They don't know what good coffee is over there. It's Whatever they, they produce is burnt and bitter and just horrifying. It's Coffee in India is not good. Um, the coffee culture is coming there slowly, but it's taking time. And you just don't get good coffee in India the way you do elsewhere. It's, you know, if you're pissed off at that, well, what can I do? Um, that's just the, it's the truth of things. Uh, a lot of these foreign foodstuffs, the, these things that you're used to having overseas, fresh vegetables that you can turn into leafy salads, for instance. Indians don't do that sort of thing. Like the, the concept doesn't occur to them. Um, because if you try to eat a raw salad in India, you'll fall sick with really bad food poisoning, nine times out of ten. So they will want to bring back some of these things with them, and they'll end up many times living in quite fancy gated communities, fancy by Indian standards, and really actually fancy by Western standards too, in all honesty. Um, very privileged, very well-heeled, well-to-do places uh, where inevitably, you know, half the residents of the tower or the, the block won't want to pay their utility bills. They won't want to pay their upkeep bills. They won't want to pay their property taxes because, you know, India, that's what Indians are like. Um, if they can get away with not paying something, they will. So they'll bring back with them all the sort of nice things that they want. They'll live in these communities and I think one of two things will happen. Either they'll just segregate themselves away from the native population, or they'll try to impose their own uh, view, westernized view of the way things work onto the natives, and that's going either one is going to breed tremendous resentment. Either one. Um, you already have a situation in a number of um, Asian countries where they view these people who come back as like not really one of them. Uh, in India, they're called like coconuts. They, they consider British Indians to be coconuts. They're brown on the outside, white on the inside. And the Chinese considered the British Chinese to be bananas. You know, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Um, they don't like these people. And they, they don't consider them to be part of us. You know, they don't consider them to be part of their country. Um, those people are likely going to find themselves separated from what they consider to be their people, but they're not really their people anymore. So you're going to get that. 
Uh, and that is likely to spur a significant nationalistic backlash because what's going to happen is, yes, there'll be lots of money coming back over from overseas and they'll be happy with that. Um, they will be really happy with the investment and the funding and they'll be really happy with getting the, the cash from these countries. But that's going to raise the prices for everybody else in, in that same country. It's going to raise the cost of living for those same people. That is going to breed quite a bit of resentment. It's already doing so in some parts of India. The closest analog that you can find for a Westerner to understand is if you look at Clownipornia right now, California. The headlines recently, and Tucker Carlson did a great segment on it last night, where he talked about how Clownipornians are fleeing California to go to Mexico. They, things are so bad in California. Native Californians are picking up everything and moving to Mexico, where there's a drug war on in certain Mexican states. And they're saying, screw it, we're going to go live in, you know, Guadalajara or uh, Yucatan or you know, places in Mexico where they are setting up basically gringo segregated communities, similar to what you'll find in South Africa or, uh, or, you know, any gated community anywhere, really. And they will create like American only enclaves with high fences, barbed wire, armed guards with machine guns guarding them at every turn, that's going to be really quite something to watch. Uh, when Americans impose on Mexicans the same kind of invasion that Mexicans have imposed on Americans for so long, the Mexicans are looking at this going, you know, what the hell? I mean, we're the ones supposed to be sending our dirt world immigrants to you, not the other way around. But that's <laughs> We live in a very, very strange world. Um, that's the likely scenario we're going to see where the rich leave and the poor stay behind and, and it just gets worse and worse for them, the, the poor who stay behind. So that, that brings me to my second category of people, of immigrants who've gone over and stayed in the West. Those immigrants are going to be up shit creek because they can't afford to get out and they can't afford to stay where they are because the cost of living in the West will accelerate dramatically. The destruction of living standards will be quite severe. The Their inability to get what they want and put food on the table for their families and in their refrigerators, you know, stock their shelves will be really quite bad. And it's getting bad now. I mean, the median income, as Tucker pointed out last night, the median income in the United States, the, the median, the middle income, not distorted by averages, because if you go by averages, it's actually substantially higher, but because the average is skewed so badly by all these millionaires and billionaires who make in unbelievable amounts of money, the average income is much, much higher, but the median income is uh, 44000 a year. You can't live on $44,000 a year anymore in the United States. You just can't. I mean, not in any big city, at least. You can live maybe in some remote part of the country, but petrol prices being what they are, they're going to kill you um, if you have to drive anywhere. I mean, you're going to be paying through the bloody nose for petrol. So 
you can't live on that much money. And a lot of immigrants into the United States don't, don't make even that much. They're going to become increasingly angry, radicalized, and hostile. And you're going to see them kind of break off into these segregated, ghettoized camps. It's already happening. If you go to London and you go to Tower Hamlets, which is in the eastern side of, of the city. So you go to Tower Hill, the Tower of London, and you walk literally up the road. Um, basically, you on the same side of the, the bridge as the, Tower, uh, as, as the Tower of London, there's a big main road. There's Tower Bridge on the right. I know this because I've walked this route many times. You keep walking up that road, straight up that road, towards a place called Shadwell. I've been there. You walk into Shadwell and you just look around and you're like, what the hell? Where am I? You're in Bangladesh. It's what is, That's what it looks like. You're in Bangladesh. It looks like you're in the middle of Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. And you're looking around and you're like, women have to be in veils. Men are dressed as if they're coming from the 7th century. There are billboards everywhere for Islamic schools and Islamic doctrine and Islamic teaching. Travel agencies are advertising cheap flights to Dhaka and, and Islamabad. You're like, I was just in Britain 500 meters ago. What am I doing in the third world? That's how it's going to become in large Western cities. It's already happening. If you look at uh, several cities in England, Bradford, parts of Manchester, Rotherham, Birmingham, various other places that have accepted huge numbers of South Asian migrants, they're already self-segregating into places where there are no-go zones for white police. Europeans can't enter these areas. Sweden is already in that situation now, and they're belatedly discovering that Islam actually isn't very compatible with Western values. Gee, who, who frickin' would have thunk it? Um, you're going to see that segregation continue, and it's going to get much, much, much worse. And you're going to have a powder keg situation where, you know, people in these ghettos are going to be really pissed. And either they're going to try to impose their views on everyone else by force, or they're going to cut themselves off from everyone else and just become this sort of, literally just a ghetto. Uh, same way that the Jews ghettoized themselves in Italy, you're going to see the same thing with immigrant groups in France, in the United Kingdom, in parts of Italy, um, definitely Germany, definitely the Scandi countries, uh, definitely much of Europe, though not all of it. I think Spain and Portugal will be okay. I think France is screwed. Greece, I think, will be okay. Central Europe, I think, will be okay. If you look at Orban in Hungary, he paints the model of what a staunchly Catholic moderate conservative, effective conservative, not, you know, cuck-servative like you have in the U.S. They don't have a clue what they stand for. Effective, moderate, conservative, Christian administration looks like. Hungary is the model. Uh, I think Russia will be just fine. Uh, and I think the degree or the extent to which the West collapses will in large measure be predicated upon how much further the West is prepared to take these idiotic sanctions. Already the West is collapsing, but if the West continues to sanction and pressure Russia any further, it's going to get really bad. 
So if you, if you look at Russia today, I mean, Russia is independent in terms of food and energy. Energy and food prices are going down in Russia while they're going up everywhere else. The Russians are fully free to pursue whatever course they choose. And they don't have the problems that the Western world does. Astonishingly, they really don't. They don't have anything like these same problems. What we're going to see, in my view, is a splintering of, um, of nations over the coming years. I think the Eurasian nations are going to be, become ever more nationalistic and ever more self-interested in pursuing their own interests. But the elites who come over will bring with them some of that toxic liberalism, that some, some of the toxic global homopedo crap. And I think they're going to be slapped down pretty hard. I think there's going to be a very strong counter reaction to any attempts to bring back tolerance of homosexuality, um, uh, pederasty, LGBTQ, WTF is this shit nonsense. I think that's going to be squashed pretty quickly, especially in China. They have no tolerance for it. India has very little tolerance for it. India has this weird, uh, group of people called the Hijris who are like, they're, they're transvestites and they're shunned by the rest of society. And yet they're also considered lucky at weddings. And I, I don't understand it. I mean, it's literally, there's a lot of things about India I don't understand. Uh, but that's, that's a, that's a big one that I really don't get. Um, there, I think it's going to be left very much at the fringes of society. I don't think there's going to be any tolerance for Western nonsense about global homopedo coming back. The degree to which those elites will be able to sustain themselves in those countries depends very heavily upon the actions and growth of Russia. Russia is becoming the pivot point very rapidly between Europe and Asia. And Russia has so much resources, so much power that it has not used, that it has not really exploited. It's, it's quite astonishing. Russia has the most arable land of any country in the world that I know of. It has vast amounts of food and fuel reserves. It has vast amounts of untapped resources. Like nobody even knows how much mineral wealth is in Russia. Nobody knows how much it really stores. If you just look at the shores of Lake Baikal and you look at how rich the soil and the ecosystem and the environment is in terms of natural resources, that's just one bit of Russia. It's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. The Russians have a level of power that they're only now beginning to understand. And I think what you're going to see is the Russians becoming kind of the bulwark of Western values, Western ideals. The West has forgotten everything, and it's a very ironic turn. I mean, the West had this priceless jewel and it threw it away. Just literally just threw it away, threw it out and said, no, we're going to fall for the lies of Satan and turn our backs on God and we're going to be fine. Well, you're not going to be fine and you're not fine. And that's the truth. Uh, whereas if you look at Russia today, Russia is actually basically a European country. If you go to Russia today and you spend time in Moscow, St. Petersburg, or any of the decent-sized cities, Voronezh, Ivanova, uh, Yekaterinburg, uh, I wouldn't recommend Krasnoyarsk in the east because it's, it's just a cold Siberian city, from what I've heard. Krasnodar, uh, Belgorod, uh, Tuman, uh, Nizhny, of course, Nizhny Novgorod, uh, Rostov-na-Danu, 
any of these cities, Tula, Tver, uh, Perm, any decent-sized city in Russia, you'll find a wonderful and unique culture. And yet, the standard of living there is largely European. I mean, it's not as nice, but it is largely European. They have central heating and plumbing and electricity and internet and all the mod cons that Europeans do, but they aren't stupid about it. Uh, and they're not trying to shut themselves off from the good things in life. They are much more responsible about their resources and about husbanding their development than Europeans are. So what you're going to find is that the Russians will be much better equipped to survive the coming storm. And they are going to preserve what is best about Western civilization because they are essentially Western Christians. I mean, yes, they're Orthodox, but their Orthodox Christianity has a muscularity and a sensible sensibility to it that Catholicism lost a long time ago, that most of the Protestant denominations never had. There's a, a manliness to it, a strength. I, yeah, there are lots of problems with it, don't get me wrong, but there is a strength to it that you just don't see in other denominations. And actually, I think Russia is going to come through this very, very well because there are these beautiful videos um, that you find on the Runet, that you find in Russian telegram channels of soldiers coming back from the war front in Banderistan and immediately proposing to their girlfriends and their sweethearts. Um, they're, they're coming back and proposing to them when they meet their girls. Uh, lots of marriages going on. There may just be a baby boom coming out of Russia after this war. The Russians, I, by the way, Fully, 100%, wholeheartedly, didact, stamp of approval, wonderful thing, get married, uh, impregnate your wife, fill her up with babies, have lots and lots of them, have loads of fun doing it, um, build up a good family, have children, bring them into this world, raise them right, raise them to fear God, 100%, absolutely, fully approved. Uh, you know, ringing endorsement from the didact, go and do it, by all means. Uh, it's a good thing. So children are a definite blessing. It's a wonderful thing to have more kids. And I think the Russians are going to see a baby boom in Russia over the next 20 to 30 years. Uh, they're also going to have a lot more people coming into their country. All the territories that they're taking by force from Banderistan are going to become Russian. That's an extra well, between 5 and 15 million people incorporated into the Russian republics. They're going to take about 70 to 80% of Ukraine's GDP most of the Chorno Zemle, uh, the black soil, uh, Zemle, the, uh, Zemle, the, the, the black earth, as it were, um, along the, the banks of the Don, in the flood basin, the estuary of the Don, which is extremely fertile. Russia may have the world's most arable land. Ukraine had, and still has, most of Europe, the, the most arable land in all of Europe. And so, Ukraine, you know, back during Soviet independ independence from the Soviet Union, actually had tremendous resources in terms of heavy industry, metallurgy, electricity, nuclear power, technology, aviation, um, automotive manufacturing, j industrial scale manufacturing, chemicals, uh, chemical engineering, uh, steelworking, ironmongery, agriculture, shipping. Uh, shipbuilding. I mean, you name it. You could run down this huge list of Ukrainian industries. They had everything at the, at the fall of the Soviet Union and they threw it all away. I mean, they are very much to blame for what has happened to them. If you're Ukrainian, look, I'm sorry. 
it's your country's bloody fault. You did this to yourselves. So, you know, Russia did not squander its opportunities. Russia was broken and beaten, but it rose again. Ukraine just stayed broken. Um, so I think what you're going to see is if this continues for very much longer, the West is going to collapse. The people who came over from the dirt world into the West are going to get angrier and angrier. Some of them are going to leave. They're going to go back. They're going to bring the mental mind virus, the mental disease of global homopedo with them. And it's going to get stomped on really hard by a countervailing trend of nationalism. In the countries where the dirt world immigrants stay, they're going to become factionalized, ghettoized, uh, radicalized, and things are going to go very, very, very badly for those countries. At some point, the Western elites will have to make a choice. Either they submit to the complete balkanization of their countries and potentially even the takeover of their countries as Islamic client states in some cases, or they launch a fight back and launch wars, civil wars of conquest and destruction against the people who have invaded and wipe them out. And there's going to be a lot of ethnic cleansing. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's not. It's assuredly a horrible thing. I'm just saying this is what tends to happen. This is, this is, this is just what happens. Immigration is war by another means. That's just the truth of it. I've offended a lot of people by saying that. I don't know why, because it's just the truth. But, you know, people don't like hearing the truth. Um, the reality is immigration is war. It always results in war. It's the same net result in the end. So uh, that's all I've got to, to say for that. I've been talking for two hours today and I'm quite fed up of it. Um, I hope this was useful and enlightening. Uh, Strength and Honor Brothers, Didact, out.